I'm Katie Prejean McGrady, and this is Ave Explores. Not long after Hurricane Laura hit my hometown last fall, we suffered another hurricane, Hurricane Delta. Two major hurricanes in a matter of about two and a half months. And it sparked a lot of conversations in my hometown, the city of Lake Charles, about something that most folks don't think about after a hurricane. Drainage. With so many trees having fallen throughout these two hurricanes, the root systems in everything from somebody's yard to neighborhood parks, those root systems are now gone because these trees have been picked up, chopped down if they've broken in half, the stumps have been grinded up, and so water doesn't absorb in the same way. And it leads to standing water in the streets, it leads to sewers that end up overflowing, it leads to more water going downstream and into waterways and river flows, and it creates a much larger problem. I had no idea that this was something that would need to be examined, that this was something that would need to be thought about. There's so much work that goes on in the environmental science sector that most folks like me, who don't really know a whole heck of a lot about it, won't ever really know until there's, say, a hurricane or a crisis that actually affects where you're from to where you have to learn about it to where you have to think about it. You give it some, some space in your mind. Today, we talk a little bit about that and more concerning how the environment really does play a factor into our understanding of how faith and science relate to one another. And we chatted with an environmental scientist, Kathleen Henke, about this. Kathleen works with the St. Kateri Conservation Center to advocate for a variety of different things, education, uh, programs that recognize that everybody can work in some small way to impact the environment, whether within their own yard, within their parish community. It's a further conversation about how Laudato Si from Pope Francis wasn't just a, hey, turn your AC down from time to time and try to make less trash, but more of a, of a galvanizing clarion call. Hey, pay attention to your footprint in this world. Let's also pay attention to ways that we can grow native plants, to ways that we can figure out better drainage system, whether with a, a rain garden, maybe even turning that rain garden into a Marian shrine. Kathleen offers insight about how her working in this space as a conservationist and with the St. Kateri Conservation Center has expanded her understanding, both of her Catholic faith, expanded her own prayer life, has given her a deeper appreciation of the wonder and awe of creation, which is ultimately what this entire series is trying to do. What's the connection point between, in this particular instance, environmental science and our Catholic faith? You can find the entire series of Ave Explores Faith and Science over at AveMariaPress.com. Lots of stuff is there, other podcast episodes, Facebook Live conversations. We have a great series of pieces that are there for you to really dig into how we are unpacking and exploring the intersection and the interplay between faith and science. We'd love it if you'd share it. We'd love it, of course, if you give it a rating and a review. So right now, we hope that you sit back and enjoy this conversation with Kathleen Henke of the St. Terry Conservation Center. Well, Kathleen, thanks so much for joining us on Ave Explores. Thank you so much for having me, Katie. It's an honor. Yeah. So tell me where you're coming from and a little bit about who you are. The way I always phrase it with guests is if I bumped into you in an elevator, who would I have just met on that two-minute ride up to the third floor? Yeah. So my name is Kat. I am a wife to an amazing husband. I have a four-year-old daughter and an eight-year-old son. And I'm from out, originally outside Philadelphia, but I live in Maryland now. And 
yeah, I'm the volunteer program director of the Sanctuary Conservation Center. And I say volunteer because we're all volunteers. We have no paid staff. Wow. So by day, all of us are in ecology, professional ecologists or in educators. So I am a mm. professional ecologist for a secular nonprofit that works on river restoration and aquatic habitat restoration. And yeah, that's, that's pretty much me. So did you always want to work in conservation and ecology? Like when you're a kid, what's your dream job when you're a little, because my daughter's obsessed with bugs and we always joke she wants to be an entomologist someday. But like, can you even have a career with that? What was your hopes when you were a kid and like wanting to study dirt and rocks? And I don't even know, like, give me the scope of what ecological study is and how you got involved. Yeah. So that was me as a child. I wanted to be an ornithologist, which is a bird scientist. And Mm. my mom actually pokes fun at me now because when I was about six or seven, she said I would go outside and stand out there for a couple, like an hour with bird food in my hand, just holding it up, like (laughs) thinking that (laughs) just waiting. Yeah. Thinking that the birds would come and and actually that does happen sometimes. It did not happen to me. uh, Yeah. So I always wanted to work or I always just love nature. I always felt a connection to God through nature. And I actually found some old little writings as like a 10 year old talking about how I felt God calling me through the birds. And I didn't even remember I wrote that until recently. So I always felt this passion. I just always wanted to do this kind of work. And so went to University of Delaware for wildlife conservation, then went to Duke for master's environmental management. And I just always stuck with it. So I love that you said it's very Franciscan of you. I find God in the the sermon to the birds is what immediately came to my head, right? Like you're outside and you're like, these are God's creatures. Jesus makes reference to birds and seeds and all sorts of natural things. So ecological studies, working in the environment, trying to conserve and to preserve, it's an important work to do on its own merit. Mm -hmm. But as a Catholic, how does your faith really color that work? I was always Catholic. I was baptized Catholic as a baby and all of that, but I never... I didn't totally understand how intertwined our faith was with caring for creation actually until I always knew how I felt about how I felt God's presence in nature. But Mm -hmm. probably when Laudato Si came out was when I really was like, wow, this is home for me. I'm home here. And then oddly enough, after my daughter was born, she's four, I was driving to meet a colleague in Pennsylvania for work. And on the way, I just had this like really strange thing overcome me where I was like, wow, the church stewards a lot of property and it's Catholic church properties and religious organizations or other types of religious orders. And maybe they might not always know that there are actions you can take on property that has more of a benefit and ecologically to, as St. Francis would say, our little brothers and sisters, all the creatures around us. And then in turn, us as humans, clean air, clean water. And so I had to pull over. It was actually that big of a thing. And I started writing down notes and I was like, oh my gosh, you know, this is, who else is doing this? And I immediately went home and I started Googling who is working on this. And I found the Sanctuary Conservation Center and and the rest Mm -hmm. is history, but it hasn't always been like that for me with my faith. And so then through working with the center, it's like, I started to notice the little things outside in nature. Like just right now in springtime is my favorite part because you always have these spring ephemeral wildflowers that are just beautiful and they bloom for very short periods of time and then they're gone. And it's like these relationships between creatures and each other in their environment is to me so, so much of an example of God's artistic hand. It's just so amazing Mm -hmm. to me how these things are designed. And that makes it even more important to me to conserve creation and restore it because it's also a way that we connect to him through Mm -hmm. these different things. So. 
Yeah, I mean, those are the first things he created. Yeah. There's always the argument of like, he saved the best for last yeah. in creating humans, but he didn't put humans in a formless wasteland, no. right? He gave us this physical universe. There were two things that you mentioned that I want to make sure we get to. So the first was you're on your way and you you recognized how much property mm-hmm. the church physically owns. So what are some of those things? I mean, we have a lot of different listeners. We have parish priests. We have folks who work for churches. We have people who just go to church on Sunday. Our parish has a beautiful grounds and we have multiple people that take care of it. And after the big storms this past fall, I mean, that was a huge part of all the trees are gone. Yeah. And should we even plant them back because they're just going to fall down again in 15 years when have another colossal storm? And our pastor's like, absolutely, we're planting them back. Like those yes. were a, not just a, a physical beacon for our parish, but like it's important for the shade covering, yeah. <laughs> like just or, like absorbing water when it rains. So what are some things that parishes can do or should do? Like what were some of those notes that you were taking right away? Yeah. So there's a few different things and they go from very small things to big things, depending on the size of the properties. But one of the major things that I think that is an easier kind of fix that people don't always realize is planting native plants. And Mm -hmm. so on many properties, you know, and even just in looking around your community and HOAs and everything, we're kind of conditioned to have these barren lawns with kind of these types of plants that are more ornamental and from other countries. And they don't do much for the ecosystem as a whole. Most mm-hmm. insects cannot eat non-native plants. And so if your plants aren't being eaten, they're not serving their purpose. And so just simply putting in native plants that are indigenous to whatever area you live in is a huge game changer. And it increases pollination and pollinators. And one in four bites of food you eat comes from pollination. So we need mm-hmm. pollinators. We need healthy ecosystems. So planting native plants is a big one and just kind of trying to move that landscape to more of a natural landscape of what it might have been. And water management is another big one. When I started with the Sanctuary Center and we made the Sanctuary Habitat program come to life, one of the first things I did was build more in my backyard because I realized I was living in a, like siloing these things. I was doing this work on my day job, but my backyard mm-hmm. was not at all reflecting what I was preaching. And so I made a big rain garden in my backyard and filled it with native plants. And I put Mary in there and my daughter completely fell more in love with Mary that way. It was a complete Mm -hmm. spiritual thing for me when I already knew what the environmental side was. So managing water with rain barrels and rain gardens and things like that is a big one for properties and all the way up to, you know, conserving or preserving some of the natural areas that you have. We are a land trust, actually. We have not yet had any easements, but we do have that ability, but preserving the land so that it's protected in the future is also a big one for those properties that are larger like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can I ask, I'm sorry, I'm ignorant of this, what a rain garden is? Sure. Yeah. So oftentimes when you have a big rain event, you know, if you have impervious service or blacktop, or if you have just turf grass, you'll see that the water just drains, runs off really quickly and it picks up everything else along the way. And that ultimately gets into your rivers and streams which then in turn is where you're drinking from and causes a host of other issues. And so one way that you can manage water on your property is by building a rain garden. And it's essentially just a little swale. And there's different dimensions depending on the size of your roof and what's running off from that. And also for us, our rain garden has, there's a lot of flow that comes into it from our neighbors because we're on a slope. Mm -hmm. So when you plant native plants that actually absorb the water more because they have a dense root system and a tap root, it allows that water to infiltrate into the soil. So it's not running down into the rivers and streams. 
Mm-hmm. And so you can actually take your downspouts from your house and point them into the rain garden. And so then that way it's all going into the rain garden and then it's infiltrating down and yeah. looking at it as I talk. And it's, yeah. it's much better for our watershed and the rivers. And then also you can kind of double with those plants. And we have like swamp milkweed and other types of plants that are host mm-hmm. species for butterflies. And so we've raised monarch butterflies every year with my kids and it's been Oh, wow. It's been really nice to watch them. Then be we let them go. And yeah, it's kind of an experience where you can start with some of these activities and they just kind of blossom into other things. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I'm selfishly taking notes because we've been talking a lot about putting like elephant ears along our fence line because that's a super absorbent plant down here or the... Um, they're the ones that look like cattails, like the cattails are super absorbent down here and you'll see them in the swamps. So it's like, we should be putting those in our yard. Otherwise we're just like having these gigantic puddles. And yeah, it's always a big deal around here. The the lack of drainage in our town, again, so close to the coast, you'd think that we'd have this figured out. But you also mentioned, so you pull off to the side of the road, you're thinking about different ways that the land can be managed well. It's not just a matter of putting in a parking lot, but like, what can we be doing to serve our ecosystem? So tell me a bit about the work that the St. Kateri Conservation Center does, because it sounds like that's a huge, a huge goal of y'all's. Yeah. So we have several programs and one of them is education and outreach. So we've been around since 2000 and we became a nonprofit in 2012. So between 2000 and 2012, it was really just our executive director, Bill Jacobs. He founded the center and he started out with social media. How do we just bring people to understand that it's Catholic to care for creation. And here's a lot of the different quotes from popes and saints and everything else. So we started out with a Catholic ecology library online with all of these different writings and documents and and also social media. And so that's one of our programs is education outreach. And then the Sanctuary Habitat program was one that was on our strategic plan right around the time that I came to the center. And then we really brought it to life. And so that is very similar to the National Wildlife Federation and other habitat mm-hmm. certifications. So except it has a the faith element. And so for us, it's really about lifting up people who are already doing this amazing work, work with uh, Catholic properties and also private owners, landowners, and then also just bringing people to see God in nature. And so that is the main point of our program. And we also then help to allow folks to understand some of these things we're already talking about, like rain gardens and native plants and things mm-hmm. like that. And so that we have a map online. I don't know if you had a chance to see it, but we have over 150 registered habitats and it's a free program. And so we post their photos and share what they're doing. And then we've had other people actually create the habitats because they found our mm-hmm. program, which has been really nice. And we have resources online on how to do that. And so it was modeled after those other types of habitat certifications, but with a Catholic spin. So with a, mm-hmm. having a statue or a prayer space to integrate that connection with God. Yeah. Well, I mean, you mentioned putting the Mary Garden with mm-hmm. your your rain garden. There's this integration of, we've been talking about this the whole series. We don't live our faith in a vacuum. Yeah. We live our faith in a physical world, whether that's the physical world where we're contemplating the creation or just the ground and the land upon which I stand. Talk to me a bit about why St. Kateri is the patron of this and the name behind conservation. Yes. So she is an amazing saint, and I don't think she gets enough credit. (laughs) So she is the first Native American saint, and she was born in the 1600s. Her mother was Algonquin, and her father was Mohawk. And she contracted smallpox at the age of four and lost her 
pretty much her immediate family, her, her mother and father and brother, and then was with her uncle. So that her uncle and aunt then raised her. And so she wanted to be baptized at the age of 19, I believe it was, that she decided that and ended up traveling for 200 miles on foot to a Jesuit mission near Canada. And so I wish I would have known what that was like. Like, what would she do during that whole 200 mile walk? Took two months. But I think when it comes to the reason why she is the patron saint of of ecology and ecologists in addition to St. Francis of Assisi is because indigenous peoples have that traditional ecological knowledge that I think a lot of people don't know. And I always think, you know, I wish I would have been taught that. We're just not taught that (laughs) in general about how connected our surroundings are to the people who used to live here. I mean, everywhere that we are standing is on traditional homelands of an indigenous tribe, First Nations tribe. And so traditional ecological knowledge is really just the knowledge that indigenous peoples have had for the thousands of years that they've been living in on the places that they were traditionally living. And many of the management practices that we have now come from different indigenous tribes. So like prescribed fire and other things mm-hmm. like that is just, it just goes right back to how indigenous peoples always do know and always have known that we are a part of nature and not separate from it, which is a big thing in Lonato Sea. And I actually wasn't living that way, even as an ecologist, mm-hmm. I just wasn't, wasn't living that way in the way I manage my property and what I do in my home. But it's something that indigenous peoples, that's the way they live. And I'm not native, so I can't speak for native peoples, but at the center we feel that in order to really care for our common home, we have to do it all together and we have to take their lead too. I mean, mm-hmm. and that's one of the reasons why I think she's selected to be the patron of the environment. Yeah. I mean, she definitely is an example and a model. The work the center is doing too is essentially trying to say, this isn't just for people who own tracts of land that are acres and acres. Like I can have my little tiny half acre between my home and my backyard and still be working to preserve where I am and the habitat where I am. And you mentioned this, the way that we manage our property, the way that we manage our homes. What are some, you know, a rain garden is a great example. What are some things I can even do like to cut back on my trash, the creation of trash? My husband and I are always mentioning like we throw out a bag and a half of trash every other day, just from like things that we're opening or packages. Or I was just in Target this morning and I was buying those reusable sandwich baggies for my daughter at school because I'm sick and tired of dumping something into the trash every day. What are some things we can do and that the center teaches us from, you know, my little block of the world. Yeah. So I think aside from the property management side of things, I think reducing waste is a big one. I struggle to, you know, you have two little kids, I have two little kids mm-hmm. and it's marketed to us. Many of the fruit snacks are all in little baggies and everything else. So it's really hard to do, but I've found that trying to just, as I'm shopping, reduce those types of singular packaged items. And I try to not use plastic bottles. I mean, that's kind of one that's been around a while, but recycling and and really we want to reduce before we recycle and reuse, reduce, reuse, recycle. But the recycle is kind of the the last one. We want to reduce as much as we can. And with trash specifically that, yeah, that is such a hard one. But one of the things too, that I noticed and that I started doing was I'm not the best gardener, although I try. And we started growing a lot of our vegetables at home. And so then I wasn't buying them at the store, which many times they'd be like packaged and things. So we were Mm -hmm. growing some of our own food and also reducing the water that you're using is a big one. 
And I always try to teach my children. I'm like, you know, make sure that when you brush your teeth, you're not leaving the water on, even though I know that sometimes I'm guilty of it as well. It's like, oh, oops. It's hard for people to understand too, that those small acts actually make a difference. But in reality, like they do. Mm -hmm. I mean, even if it's just a a mindset change of like being a little more aware, I, it's been the past year, I've definitely felt more connected to where I'm at because of the storms that came through and knowing what massive destruction there was. And there's been a huge conversation in our town about infrastructure and the drainage and how can we better preserve not just our physical homes, but the land that gets slowly wiped away and climate change is a reality. And so it's definitely something that we need to have conversations about. I want to go back to something you said at the beginning about your faith. Really, it wasn't something that you always maybe made the connections to, but it started to develop in your mind and in your heart. Tell me a little bit about that story and how your work as an ecologist makes you a better Catholic and how being a Catholic makes you a better ecologist. Yeah. So I think, again, it was not that long ago that it really came to life. And I think the center does a really good job of that because for one thing, teaching people of faith that are very devout already, that it's Catholic to care for creation. And how do we do that? That's kind of our role. But then also what I found that it happened for me is that I was a huge nature lover like not first, I don't want to say first because God was always a part of it, but I didn't always try to learn more about the faith. It was more about, this is how I feel about nature and I have to conserve nature. And then through the center, it really brought me to understand that this is, the faith says this, I need to learn more about the faith. And it made me more Catholic. And I think Hmm. that's another thing that the center does is it brings nature lovers to understand that Catholicism is right there in here. And that's what happened to me. It was really all centered around this rain garden, which is really weird to say, but we made this rain garden. Then I realized, well, I need to like do this for the rest of my property. And so I started to let different things grow instead of cutting my lawn. And we still do to a degree, but we have we let things grow and see what they are. Mm-hmm. The one thing that I can point to is like, there's this weed that grows in my yard and it's called a jewel weed. People will cut it down, but it's a native plant and they never noticed it before. And people in studies, they've shown like people have plant blindness. They don't even look around them to see like what is growing. I was being Mm -hmm. like that. And I found it's a beautiful little orange flower and it's just so unique. And it just really reminded me just to look at the small things and how unique it was and that God created these things. And so now in my job and even in my day job too, it really brings a depth to it. When I start my day, I'm starting it with the feeling that I'm going into this and doing this because God is calling me to do it. Mm-hmm. It's also made me think about the impacts of, of what I'm doing and how it relates to the poor. And I mean, environmental destruction definitely impacts the poor more than it impacts others. And mm-hmm. it just really made that whole thing more understandable to me. And the connection between all of these things. I didn't have that before. And now I see everything as we're all connected as one. And that whole ecological conversion that St. Pope John Paul talked about, that happened to me. And I'm an ecologist even. Like I didn't even think that way before. And so Mm -hmm. I think as Catholics, we have kind of a, a leg up in being able to get there quicker because we know a lot of this foundation. And I think as a center, we can really help people to see it because I know if I Mm -hmm. didn't see it, I'm sure there's a lot of people that didn't and then that don't. And so that we can bring that to them. Yeah. 
I mean, it's making me want to go outside and look through and be like, okay, we're not chopping that down. We're not cutting that. And we, we did chop a tree before this next hurricane season because we didn't want it to hit our house. But now I feel a little guilty and we might have to go plant one just a little further away, well, <laughs> away from the house. <laughs> you can also check in like one thing that I also, and our, our executive director, he works for the Long Island Native Plant Initiative, I believe. And he also works with invasive plants. And so invasives are a big thing. So see what comes mm-hmm. up. And then one a really wonderful thing that we also promote at the center is called iNaturalist. It's an application on your phone. It's free. And it pretty much, you can take a picture of any plant or animal and it works with machine learning in that mm. you take a picture and the, the algorithms behind the application can identify the plant and animal with just the picture. And so then oh, wow. you take the picture and it does that. And then you can tell, oh, is this thing native or non-native? If it's non-native, I'm going to pull it mm-hmm. and then plant with native plants. So making sure that, you know, the tree you cut down might, might have been non-native. And then this it okay. might, might not have been a good idea. It yeah. gave great shade. Yeah. Definitely would have taken the house out during another storm. So we were like, nope, we're getting rid of that now. Uh, I want to preserve my home. So where can we find out more about you, the work that the Kateri Conservation Center is doing? Yeah, so we are at kateri.org. And so on our website, we have the different program areas there that you can read about. And we also have our Sanctuary Habitat program is listed there and you can register to become a Sanctuary Habitat right there. It's just a simple form and we ask for photographs and then um, we're happy to, to help anybody if they want to learn more about how they can do more on their properties. We also have an indigenous program that I hadn't mentioned before, but that is there. You can read more about that. I'm hoping to bring back ancestral varieties of corn and crops on Mm. different properties that are stewarded by the church. So um, working with tribes in that way. And our library is up there as well. And and yeah, we're on social media, on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. We're all over it. So Well, I will link all of that. It looks like it's great work. I think I'm going to convince my husband to register our backyard Please once do. we've got some things. We're planting some uh, raised flower beds in the corner because Rose really wants to grow strawberries. That's her big... I don't know if we'll be able to do it. I don't have much of a green thumb, but my husband takes great pride. Uh-huh. So we'll see. Yeah. We'll see if we can. Thanks so much for joining us, Kat. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great. We've got links down in the show notes to all of the great things, the organization, St. Terry Conservation Center, and some of the ideas that Kathleen shared, especially links to information about how to register your own Marian shrine if you build one in your backyard and different ways that you can get involved, whether giving information to your parish priest about everything from, hey, we should really be planting native plants to let's have a conversation about a, a rain garden within our parish property, to even just maybe doing some evaluating yourself of, Am I trying to create, do I live with this conservation mindset rather than a consumption mindset? An attitude of, I care for my common home, I care for this world, I care for this earth. Not just, I produce and I consume and I move on to the next thing. You can find all of the content that we're creating for Ave Explorers Faith and Science over at AveMariaPress.com, other podcasts, videos, a Facebook Live conversation this past week with Haley Stewart, author of The Grace of Enough. We've got excellent content coming in the next few weeks. We've got an interview with Colonel Benjamin Alvin Drew from NASA. We've got conversations about the Big Bang Theory, bioethics, how to have difficult conversations surrounding faith and science with people who might doubt or believe that those two things have nothing to do with each other. So sign up at AveMariaPress.com to get all of those emails straight to your inbox every single week for the next few weeks. 
And of course, we'd be grateful for a rating and a review of this podcast, which is a part of Spoke Street Media, which is available wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, is also being replayed on Redeemer Radio from time to time. We love what we're doing here at Ave Explorers. We are happy that you are joining with us. So click on over to Ave Maria Press to find out more. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit SpokeStreet.com.